Good morning and welcome to our services together today at Winbrook Baptist Church. We are so grateful that you have come to be a part of our services together, those of you who are here in person, as well as those who are joining us online. Thank you so much for taking your time this morning to be a part of our service together. Just a couple of announcements before we get started. Our next new member orientation sessions will be held on two consecutive Sunday mornings, the 15th and 22nd of this month uh, during the Sunday school hour. So if you're interested in participating in the new member orientation, see me or a member of our staff and we'll be happy to get you the information necessary. Also for everyone's uh, information, we will begin, the, or the new paving of our parking lot will begin tomorrow morning. They're going to start back here at the back gate entrance on Brookstone Boulevard and work their way around. So for at least Monday and Tuesday of this week, if you need to come to the church or the school or preschool, park down by the uh, school or in the lower parking lots and uh, make your way this way. It will be a little bit inconvenient for us, but we need to make sure we've got the parking lots cleared for the paving. Also, now that we are back in the month, or back starting a new month, we will be back here in the worship center this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock for our Bible study only. We are still looking tentatively at beginning on August the 18th with our full Wednesday schedule, uh, but Jonathan has shared that uh, we are looking at all of the options and considering all of the needs that are there, uh, but keep those uh, dates in mind as well. And then I wanted to make sure, Pastor Craig has asked Jonathan and me to make sure that you as a church family know how grateful he and Belinda both are for all of your cards and your calls and your uh, concern during their illness. And uh, he has said he has turned the corner and is starting to feel uh, a little better each day and making his way back to uh, full health. And we know that will continue to take a little time, but let's continue to be in prayer for Pastor Craig and Belinda. And then on behalf of my family, my father and my family and I want to express our gratitude to you. When I shared a few stories about my mother on Mother's Day, I had no idea that some two months later she would be home with the Lord uh, so quickly. Uh, but the cards and calls this past week have meant so much uh, to my father and to my family and we appreciate all of your prayers in the days to come. We'd like to begin our services with a time of prayer. If you'd like to kneel here at the steps, the altar, please come forward. If you want to remain where you are, uh, feel free to do so. We'll turn to the Lord during this time. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, for the joy that is ours to gather together with a family of faith known as your church. We thank you, Father, for the promises and assurances that we receive through your holy and written word. We thank you today for the living word, Jesus Christ, for the hope that is ours through faith in him, not simply for forgiveness of sin, but uh, in addition, Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy and the strength that guides us throughout each day, lifts us up in times of need, and celebrates with us in times of rejoicing. I pray your blessings upon this service as we gather together today in the name of Christ our Lord. We pray your blessings upon the musicians and those who lead us in worship. We pray for Brother Jonathan as he comes to share with us from your word in just a moment. And we ask, Father, that our lives would be a reflection of the faith that we have in you. Lead us now this day, Father, as we continue to trust in you. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we sing together.
shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be
Amen. Thank you, praise team. Well, I'm back for week number two. I joked around. With, I knew Pastor Craig was feeling better when he was texting me a couple last night and the night before, letting me know, as he always does, Kevin and I, and that he's praying for us and, and very encouraging. But I said, hey, man, three weeks in a row, people are going to think that's a pattern. They're going to start calling me reverend or bishop or something, and we don't want any of that happening. But uh, he does, Pastor Craig is uh, feeling better and he wants everyone to know how much he appreciates the calls and texts and prayers. And and I also want to say, I know Kevin does too, but I want to say for those of us who were able to be with Kevin this week, uh, a lot was going on with out-of-town family coming in, but Kevin officiated his own mother's funeral. And Kevin, I just want to say as a friend and as a co-worker, it was absolutely inspirational. Uh, and a testimony of a family of faith, and uh, just the grace that you showed throughout the week was incredible, and what an example to us, and we're honored that uh, you serve here at Wimbrook Baptist Church, brother, and we'll continue to pray for Brother Kevin and his father, because it's the days and the weeks ahead that will continue to be a challenge. This morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament, and I, I was surprised when I told someone, they asked what I was going to be preaching on, and I said, we're going to be in the Old Testament and uh, this was a phone call for someone that lives out of town, and they're like, is the Old Testament still really relevant to Christians today? And I was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I just want to make sure everyone's clear that as we learned last week, the Old Testament was written for our instruction too, not just Israel, right? Israel gave birth to the church. And when you read the New Testament, you're basically reading the Old Testament in the light of Jesus, and the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. It does not replace it. And so you really cannot study one without the other. And the Old Testament and the New Testament, they have it's one Bible. It's one unified story that points to Jesus. And I just want to make sure everybody understands. We here at Winbrook believe that the entire Bible is God's holy word. And we receive it as our authority. And we must conform our lives to the Bible, not try to manipulate and conform the Bible to fit our lives. I love what Pastor Matt Chandler wrote in his book, The Explicit Gospel. He says this, quote, The Bible isn't about us. We are not the story of God's revelation. The Bible issues commands for us to obey and demands our submission to God. But ultimately, the Bible is for us, but it is not about us, end quote. So as we study the Old Testament scriptures this morning, remember the entire Bible was written to reveal God and all of His glory for us. It's always been about Him, not about us. So this morning we're going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. As 1 Samuel begins, Israel was at a low point spiritually, the priesthood was corrupt, the Ark of the Covenant was not at the tabernacle, idolatry was practiced, judges were dishonest. But as you study 1 and 2 Samuel, these conditions were reversed under the godly influence of Samuel and David. And we need men, more men like Samuel and David today. Who is Samuel? A little bit about him. His name means name of God. He was a man of prayer. We see in chapter 3, he was a child of prayer. Then we see in chapter 7, his people received victory through the power of his prayers. He prayed unto the Lord for a king in chapter 8. And then we see intercessory prayer was his life. That defined him. Wouldn't that be awesome for someone to say that about you? That intercessory prayer was your life. Most of us are familiar with the stories of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, and maybe even the friendship of David and Jonathan. Great name, I might add. In chapter 18, that's David and Jonathan. But we're going to see that God has a lot more to reveal to us in this book this morning. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. We're actually going to be in chapter 6 and 7. But let me give you a review quickly up to, in 1 Samuel up to this point. First five chapters. Chapter 1, Hannah cries out to the Lord and Samuel is born. Chapters 2 and 3, Hannah's prayer of praise. Samuel begins to grow and then he's called by God. Chapters 4 and 5, the ark is captured and the death of Eli and his sons. For those who have read the book of 1 Samuel, you may remember the Israelites in their pride did not pray and ask for God for, ask God for help in their battle against the Philistines. So they trotted out the Ark of the Covenant like some sort of magic trophy that that was going to bring them 
the victory. And it wasn't by faith in the Lord. It was a superstition they had. And so Israel tried to manipulate God with the ark. And because of their arrogance, God allows them to lose the battle and lose the ark. So the Philistines take the ark. They place it in the temple of Dagon. And that's when it really gets serious. That's when God unleashes all sorts of plagues and tumors on the Philistines. So they decide they don't like that and they send the ark back. So chapters 1 through 7 can really be summed up by saying God judges and he conquers. We serve a God who judges and he conquers. Let me give you a little more history. You may remember Hophni and Phinehas are priests. Sounds more like a cartoon, I know. But they are priests, but they're crooked as a dog's hind leg. They are allowed to be immoral, act with disgraceful behavior by their father, Eli, who's a priest and a judge at the time. Chapter 2, verse 12 says they don't know God. See, they knew about God, but they didn't know him. And Eli, their dad, he scolds them, but he doesn't discipline them. Chapter 3, verse 13 says he did not restrain them. And parents that are in here, we must understand we must restrain our children with consequences. Whether it's in the home, school, wherever. Discipline is a must for raising godly children. The Bible tells us that. And as we learned a few weeks ago in studying 1 Timothy chapter 1, there are times when we must execute discipline in the church as well. We must hold each other accountable. So what happens? Eli doesn't discipline his two-knucklehead son, and God takes him out. Chapter 4, we learn he is a God who judges. So, before we dive in our text this morning, I do want to answer two quick questions. Number one, who are the Philistines? Amos chapter 9 verse 7 tells us they immigrated to Israel from the island of Crete. They were seafaring people. There was a large influx of Philistines to Israel when the Israelites left slavery in Egypt for the promised land. The Philistines were militarily advanced. They were the first to process iron as weapons. They were a big, bad machine. And then the second question is quickly, what is the ark? See, the ark is Israel's most treasured national possession. It represented the very presence of God. It was given to Moses from God for the house of God with very specific instructions. And we have a slide that's going to show you the ark, and it gives you all the scripture references of the details, the specific instructions. You see what was in the ark, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, the law of Moses, manna. I don't want to go too deep into this because this is a study all into itself. But I want to make sure that we note it is important for us to know that Christ is revealed in the ark of the covenant. Right? The Old Testament points to Jesus. And as a people of God, the Israelites were listening to this church. They were supposed to worship the God of the ark, not the ark of the God. We must remember that our Lord brings the victory. Not some symbol, not a good luck charm, not a ritual, but our Lord. So with, with that, let's go to God's holy word, 1 Samuel chapter 6. And let's read about how the ark returns home and Israel returns to obedience. We're going to be in chapter 6. I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Starting in verse 1, it says, The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send away the ark of the God of, the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and the Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which 
there has never come a yoke. And they yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home, away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it in a box at its side, the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch it. If it goes up on, the, on its way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so, and they took the milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh, along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Bet Shemesh. Now the people of Bet Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced in it. This is the word of God for the people of God. May his blessing be upon the reading of his word. So let's walk through these scriptures. Verse 2 says the Philistines, really they understood that they had offended God. So their priests wanted to escape his wrath, and they sent the ark back to Israel. It only took them seven months to figure this out, right? Nothing like several plagues and tumors to get their attention. In verses 3 and 4, it talks about the guilt offering. And the purpose behind this offering was to acknowledge and to compensate for dishonoring the God of Israel. And so they recognized their sin and the need for repentance, so they did so according to their religious tradition and law. That's what is called the guilt offering. And note, it said the number, they have the number five. That number five represents each of the Philistine cities and their lords affected by God's judgment. Then in verses 7 through 9, we see using cows that had never been yoked and taking from their calves. Now, why was this? Because the Philistines still question whether it was God who created all this destruction for them and not maybe it happened by chance. They still question that. So they used two untrained nursing cows to pull a cart with the ark on it. They went to Israel, and the Lord, if they went to Israel, the Lord was responsible. If they went back to their calves, then all that happened was just by chance. So what happens? Head down, they head straight to Israel, to Beth Shemesh. They didn't veer to the right or to the left, even to eat for cows. The lords of the Philistines didn't know the true and living God but guess what? The cows did, and they obeyed him. Isaiah 1.3 says, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. And so God is miraculously at work here. And we got to understand, sometimes God will move heaven and earth and sometimes use the animals he's created to give us his will. And the Philistines, now they recognize who was in charge. And then another... I want to just stop for a second and make a point about the town Beth Shemesh. Located in the Sork Valley, there's going to be a map behind me. And you see that town right there. And you see the Sork Valley right here. And you see the town Zora and Eshdale. Why do I point those out? Anybody in here remember the name Samson? Big, strong Samson. That's where Samson's from. And he, he roamed that Sork Valley in those towns. This is where he was born. And spent his days as a Nazarite set apart from God. But remember, he traveled that entire valley chasing Philistine women. Why do I bring that up? Because I think you can draw a comparison from Samson and the people of Beth Shemesh. Samson had a curiosity of sin and a desire of lust and fleshly things. And the people of Beth Shemesh had a curiosity about forbidden holy things. And they lacked reverence for the Lord. All of these curiosities and interests were outside God's law. And I think it applies to us as people today of God as we need to follow God's standards for holiness, not the world's. We learned last week in 1 Corinthians 10 that we're to desire the holy things of Christ, not the evil things of the world. So then jump down, verse 19, it says, and he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 of them. All right, he is a God who judges, not just the Philistines. So the men of Beth Shemesh should have covered the ark because it wasn't supposed to be seen by anyone except the high priest. 
And because of their mistake, it cost them lives, 70 of them. So think about this, church family. If the Philistines were judged for the way they treated the ark, how much more responsible were the Jews who knew the law for how they treated the ark? Or let me take it a step further. How much more responsible are we who have the Holy Scriptures and the example of Israel? So in His grace, God brought the ark back to Israel. But in His holiness, He struck down the Israelites who treated the ark like an idol or a trophy rather than a symbol of God's glory. Like us today, the Israelites were supposed to be light in a dark world. They were called to be set apart from the world. Instead, they fell into sin of the culture and they were infected by the world. And unfortunately, we see that in churches all across the world today. Again, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of the Lord with His people and the rule of the Lord over His people. The Lord had every right to abandon His sinful people, but He didn't abandon them. He graciously remained with them. And hey folks, it was a difficult time for the Jews. They were not a united people, and they were not godly people. Sounds like our country today. And Israel thought their problems would be solved if they just had a king like other nations. And we see later on in Samuel that they discover that having their own way would only lead to greater problems. Because they will see, and as we need to see, it's not about who the king of the land is or the leader of the country is. It's about who the king of our lives is, right? It's about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what's most important. One commentary said this, What the ark was to Israel, Jesus Christ is to us today. When he is given his rightful place of priority in our lives, he will bless us and work on our behalf. So now, let's move to chapter 7 and see what happens next. 1 Samuel chapter 7, I'll start in verse 1 here. It says, And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel limited after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth demons, from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherah and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. See, he's a man of prayer. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him, As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So let's walk through these scriptures. In verse 2 through 4 it says, 20 years was a designated period that Israel neglected God and chased other gods. But they returned to the Lord after 20 years. Charles Stanley says this, 
God demands and deserves our exclusive loyalty and love. He made us for himself, and we have no higher calling than to draw near to him, end quote. Israel was starting to figure that out, and I, that's my hope and prayer for us this morning, is that we continue to draw near to him. In verse 6, it said, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. The pouring out of water before the Lord was a sign of repentance, and we see this act repeated in 2 Samuel. And the symbol of Samuel pouring out the water and acknowledgement of the people revealed that true repentance had taken place. However, I do want to make note that it's more about the condition of the heart than the righteousness of the ritual, right? This was an act of self-denial and humility. It signified pouring out their hearts in complete repentance. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Have you poured out your heart to Him lately? See, it wasn't, just enough, it wasn't enough just to destroy their idols. They had to confess their sins and surrender their lives to the Lord. And then I love verse 10. The Lord thundered against the Philistines. See, if you go back to chapter 2, the Lord did to his enemies exactly what was said by Hannah in her prayer. In chapter 2, verse 10, this is her prayer. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. That's chapter 2. And then turn over to chapter 7, and that's exactly what happened. Wouldn't that have been awesome to experience that? Verse 12 what did Samuel do? He took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And Samuel was encouraging the Israelites by reminding them of the victories the Lord had given them up until that point. And church family, I think it's important for us, especially when we're going through a difficult time, to stop when we face difficulties and slow down and reflect on all the times God has blessed us for our obedience, for our faithfulness, how He's protected us, provided for us. The Lord never lets us down, and He never will. The name Ebenezer means stone of help. Because this was a reminder to the Jews that God had helped them up to this point, and He was going to continue to help them if they would trust Him and keep His covenant. And it took me to both the Old and New Testament, Daniel chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 21, where Christ is called the stone. We talked about that a little bit last week, right? He is our rock. He is the stone. And here, it's pointing to Jesus. Something cool about the history as well is setting up the stones to com commemorate the significant events have always been a part of the Hebrew culture. Jacob set up a memorial at Bethel in Genesis chapter 28. Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan in Joshua chapter 4. He set up 12 more on the western bank of Gilgal to mark the place where the waters opened and Israel crossed into the promised land. Lots of stones were piled in the Achor Valley to remind the Jews of Achan's disobedience. More stones stood at the cave of Makeda to mark where five kings had been defeated and slain. And before his death, Joshua set up a witness stone to remind the Israelites of their vow to serve the Lord and obey Him. And that's what we read in this passage today, to serve the Lord only. In the first service, we were able to sing this, one of my favorite songs, Come Thou Fount. It was written by Robert Robinson in 1757. You may know it, you may some of the, know some of the words, Come Thou Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace. But the second verse says this, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. It's taken straight from 1 Samuel. Isn't it awesome when we sing a song or a hymn that's taken straight from the scriptures? Hear my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. No need to raise a hand. But do you have an Ebenezer in your home or office to remind you how God has blessed you, how he's helped you? 
how he's protected you, how he's provided for you. Church, I encourage you. It is spiritually refreshing to stop and to reflect on and to remember all that God has done in our lives. So let me summarize this and and kind of put it all together. Chapters 4 through 6, the Philistines demolish the Israelites and take the ark. Then after the Philistines get defeated by God himself with plagues and tumors, they return the ark to Israel after only seven months. The ark is in place in Kirat-Jerim for 20 years. It stays there until David takes it back to Jerusalem when Solomon builds the temple. It never returns to Shiloh where the house of God was located. Not Shiloh up past Waverly Hall. Okay, well that's not what we're talking about. And then in chapter 7, the Israelites are attacked again. But it says, after they grieved over their sin and sought after the Lord, they served the Lord only. So two battles are fought between the Philistines and the Israelites. In chapter 4, 34,000 died. They were crushed. They were humiliated. In chapter 7, zero died. Victory. Why? What was the difference? There's five differences. First difference was knowing God instead of using God. Do you know God personally? Or are you like the Israelites here in this passage, try to use him as a good luck charm, as a genie in a bottle? Only pull him out when you think you need him. Second difference was being God-centered instead of self-centered. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about honoring him, glorifying him. It's about humility instead of pride, especially when we sin and mess up, which brings us to number four. It's about repenting from sin sin instead of reeling from defeat. So when we sin and we mess up, we humble ourselves. We don't, because of pride, want to point the finger and blame others. We do that, but humble ourselves, repent of our sin instead of wallowing in our defeat. And then lastly, it's about victory over vanity. It's about the victory that God provides that we can't provide ourselves. And He provides the victory for His glory and honor, not ours. So we see in this, these two chapters that we have a God who judges. But isn't it awesome to know that we serve and worship a God who conquers? Dagon, the Philistine God, could not protect the Philistines from the wrath of Almighty God. Notice, God brings the ark back to Israel all by himself. He doesn't use the Israelite army. It's all God. And we need to understand, he doesn't need us to accomplish his will and his purpose. He desires us to be involved in his will, but he doesn't need us. And quickly turn, we're we're almost done. That brings me to Isaiah chapter 46 real quick. That speaks to this. Isaiah chapter 46 Verses 8 through 10, prophet Isaiah says this, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. He will be victorious. Charles Swindoll says this, about these passages. Quote, God is sovereign. He will accomplish his purposes with or without our cooperation. But as true with the lives that we study in the book of Samuel, our response to God's call affects our outcome. We learn that obedience is always better than sacrifice. End quote. So what's the point? God is not just a trophy or a good luck charm that you can simply bring out when you need him. He opposes pride amongst his people. And we must remain humble and obedient if we want to experience his new covenant blessings. God's power and presence are realized through a relationship with him. It's only by God's strength and power that we can experience true victory in our lives. And it comes through knowing him, not just knowing about him. So some quick takeaways from 1 Samuel this morning. Seek the Lord. Put away all false gods and idols. Confess our sin. Pray for God's help. And then listen to this, church. Worship and praise Him 
for who he is, not just what he does. Worship and praise him for who he is. So we're going to close with a time of invitation this morning. And I want to invite you, if you're watching online, we have the number you can call. A staff member would love to talk to you, 678-632-2115. If you're here in person, we're going to stand to our feet while music's playing. The altar is open. If you want to come pray, because people are concerned in our community and throughout the world, if you want to pray to the Lord for protection and safety and healing for those many that are sick, or maybe you want to come and just say, Lord, thank you. I want to reflect. I want to remember all that you've done and give you honor and praise for that. If you want to join our church family, come see Brother Kevin or myself. If you want to give your heart to Christ, come talk to us about that or even baptism. We would love to have a conversation with you. I'm going to pray and then we'll stand to our feet. And the invitation is open. Let's pray. Most holy God, we are not worthy. We are so thankful that you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins, Lord. We are in awe of the sacrifice that you have made. And Father, we pray that we honor and glorify you in all that we do. We pray, Lord, that at this time of invitation that your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts. And may we respond, Lord, in a manner that honors you. Have your way in this time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thank you. Remain standing for just a second. That'll make her feel more comfortable. I'm going to ask Laura Jones to come stand with me. Those who don't know, Laura has just celebrated this past month her 10th anniversary as our children's director, or I should say our weekday preschool director and leader. 10 years of service for those of us that have been here. We've seen the preschool grow. Now it's at max capacity, basically one or two, shall we? So if, you need, if you're looking for a spot, you better call her quick. But it has grown, and I get to work with her every day, so I see her leadership, her smiling face. She, you want to brighten your day, come at 9 a.m. or 1 p.m. when they get out and watch those little kids coming in. And she's talking to parents, calling the kids by name. She has an incredible staff, but it's because of her leadership. And on behalf of Pastor Craig, who was really wanting to do this, but he couldn't, on behalf of Pastor Craig, Brother Kevin, all of our staff, but our entire church family, would you help me say thank you to Laura for her heart? And we love you and say thank you. She's going to try to get away, but it, we're not going to let her leave too soon. Please come by and let Laura know how much you love and appreciate all she does for us here at Winbrook Baptist Church and Winbrook Christian Preschool. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for our time together. We pray that you have been honored. We pray as we leave this place that we take the love of Jesus to our community. Father, we pray for your guidance and that your will be done and that we give you all the praise and honor and glory. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.